Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. There's a few things to share about this class before we actually get into it. Um, Rabbi Clickfield gave a sermon on this topic last Shabbat, uh, very much so kind of um, he actually started off the sermon by saying, I don't want to give this sermon. It was a very hard sermon to give because on the one hand, these are stories that are in our Torah that we should learn and we should be aware of. And the way in which they're being connected now to this modern day film and, um, and novel are, are very hard to, to wrap our heads around in terms of how to then read them back into the Torah. When I went to rabbinical, nope, when I went to school for music, I also went to rabbinical school, but when I went, when I studied music, one of the things that they told us at the beginning of our studies, and actually I think I've spoken to Henry about this, is that you start to break down music so much that now anytime I listen to music, I can't just listen to music. I now hear scales and modalities and I'm my brain is doing different kind of equations so to speak but that's not really what I mean around the music I can't just listen to a symphony any longer there are pros and cons to that obviously I I that means that I have skills around music theory that have provided me much um, joy and satisfaction in my life and at the same time it breaks down something that I truly love into kind of compartmentalized parts that it's harder to wrap my head around the general experience when I'm focused on the details. That's how I felt about preparing for this class. I These are stories that you're going to know. We're going to read verses of Torah that you know very well. And when we begin to compare them to the story that is told both in the book and in the TV show, things are going to start to kind of be un... Um, uh, hold on a second. Someone's asking for the link. Um, going to start to unravel in a way that is that is difficult to swallow, um, that is not as... Uh, not as easy to understand or to to wrap your head around in a way that makes you feel comfortable reading these stories over and over and over again. And we're going to see that the rabbis were clearly uncomfortable with them because the commentaries try to make us still see our protagonists. So Sarah, in today's case um, of class, but next week, uh, Leah and Rachel, the rabbis really want us to see them as great people having done nothing wrong. Rabbi Clickfield and I spoke a lot about how there are certain ways in which we can still read even into this dystopian society that in our Torah, they didn't do anything wrong, right? This was, there was status to certain ways that people lived. A handmaid was a type of status in the way of the world's workings during those times. Now, it's hard for me to even say those words, handmade equals okay, when we know what that kind of was back then. It was some kind of sex slavery or just giving into a, a type of sexual abuse. But, but there are ways in which if we think about the time, that's not at all how it was perceived to the person. And so the commentators will often 
smooth things over, so to speak, in a way that we still see our characters like Sarah or Leia and Rebecca or Jacob and, um, and Abraham still in very bright, beautiful light um, without being critical of their character based on having this, um, this handmade barium. I'm so glad you made it. We saw you come in and come out and come in and come out. So I'm glad you're here. Um, we even waited a few minutes to see if you could get in before I started. So what we're going to do today, again, this is, um, we're probably not going to get to everything. And I want to just give a little bit of a caveat before we start. Next week, this week, we're talking about Hagar. Next week, we're going to talk about Bilha and Zilpa. There is much more on Hagar than there is Bilha and Zilpa. And a lot of what we're going to do today is kind of the introduction into just the general idea of a handmaid. So it's possible that a little bit of the Hagar piece will end up kind of coming up next week as well. We might just not finish all of the Hagar piece in, you know, the next 50 minutes that we have together. So does anybody have any any questions first, like technical questions, not I really loved this scene in the TV show. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? But any just like technical questions. Yeah, Karen. I don't know if it's a technical question, but when you say the Bible and yeah. this show have similarities in the use of women to bear children, yeah. I'm thinking, wait a minute, did I see the same show you did? Which is a dystopia. I mean, when it's not at the Bible, it's, it's now. Okay, we have Canada, we have all these functioning societies, and then we have this one. Mm-hmm. That's all. So, yes, you are correct in that it takes place in what we might consider modern day time, though, of course, this is a dystopian society, probably actually in the future as opposed to modern day. Um, but the storyline of specifically the first season of this show and kind of the first half of the book is all based on stories in the Torah. In fact, much of the language that is used by the ants and by the commander um, are are quotes from Torah, are quotes from the from the Old Testament taken from these episodes in our Torah, both with Hagar, Bilha, Zilpah, and a few others that we'll bring up um, along the way. So ye- Yes, you are correct, and and there's that added that added piece as well. Uh, Tybal, um, this is a technical question. Yeah. I'm not a TV person. I didn't know there was a TV series. I only knew there was a book. Yeah. Um, I assume for for the pleasures of studying with Rabbi Schatz, it's still worth staying, right? Even if oh yeah yeah totally I have no I mean- idea. <laughs> yes that was all very nice and yes you can totally stay and still get much out of it is what I meant by that very excited response um yeah you you will not nothing will be um lost I think to you by by not seeing the show that being said after after I teach and we we learn a little bit together I do suggest that people do three things before the next class if you have Hulu or have access to watch the first episode, watch the first episode of The Handmaid's Tale. You can watch the whole series for all I care. But but the first episode really has a lot of what we're going to talk about today. So season one, episode one. And then second is if you like the book, you should read the book. Um, I know Hannah read the book. 
um, Rabbi Klegfeld. I, I I read a lot of the book. It's it's a, it's not my favorite type of writing, so it's been hard to kind of get through the rest of the book, knowing that it's kind of similar themes over and over again. Um, but but get it. I will be done with it by the time we meet next week. Um, Rabbi Klegfeld has also started the book, and then I would suggest that you. Um, that you listen to Rabbi Klickfeld's sermon or read his sermon. Um, I'm going to give you a source sheet. I'm going to share my screen, but I'm also going to give you a source sheet that, again, is going to have many more sources on it than we're going to get to today, but it will also have the link to Rabbi Klickfeld's sermon in it that you can um, that you can go to after after class. So let me do just that. Let me share my screen very quickly. <clears throat> All right, so here's the link if anybody wants to just look at it. Hi, Michael. If anybody just wants to look at it on their own screen, you can, but I'm, I am going to share my screen for people to be able to see. All right, so this is the story of Hagar. This is a story that we read on High Holidays. This is obviously a story that we read when it comes up in our Torah, which was last week, a little bit the week before as well. Um this is a pretty prominent story. People know this story. People know um, what happens to Hagar. People know the the general gist of why Hagar is even in our story. We're going to read it, though, from the lens of Hagar being a handmaid. Now, interestingly, when I was researching these different characters in the Torah, connecting them to the book that I had read and the and the series that I had watched, there are two different words for handmade. One is, I'm going to show you a different screen. Can you all see this screen? Yeah? Okay. One word for handmade is chifcha, which we're going to see quite a bit when we talk about Hagar. The other is ama. Now, ama is brought up pretty regularly in our in our liturgy, but also in our Torah, in reference to a slave. Not so much a handmaid in the way that we're going to talk about handmaids, like doesn't always have to do with someone who's going to bear a child, but often just a slave. The word amatcha is in our Kiddush, for example, that we say on Shabbat morning, um, which Rabbi Klickfeld, <laughs> after he gave his sermon and then he asked me to do Kiddush, I turned to him and I said, we should have talked about this, I think, before I did Kiddush. Um, but it is, it is in our general language. We, we see that word a lot. Shifcha, we do not see as much. We are going to come to the conclusion by the end of this class, and it's possible that Rabbi Klickfeld and I will talk about this in kind of the final sermon in November. What is the difference here? Some of our characters are going to be called the same thing at the beginning of their experience with us will be Shifcha, and at the end will be Ama. Some of them are only called Ama. Um, I don't know of any that are only called Shifcha, but it's possible when I look more closely into Bilha's character that she will only be called a Bilha. I'm sorry, she will only be called a Shifcha. Her name is Bilha. The, it seems to me just kind of from the outset that an ama is a person who has already fulfilled their duty, so to speak. So in the book, in the Handmaid's Tale book, there are women who once they have their child in the household, they are then sent away to another household. 
So, because they've already fulfilled their obligation for that household, they've given birth to a baby for that commander and that commander's wife, they're now being sent to another household. Whereas a shifcha seems to be, again, we'll, we'll learn more about this together and we can kind of come to our own conclusions over time, but a shifcha seems to be what you are called before anything happens. So when you're brought into the home of the commander and the commander's wife, or in our case, Abraham and Sarah's tent, Hagar is referred to as a shifcha, not an ama, because she has a purpose. Her purpose is to care for Sarah, to give birth to a child. She has a job to do. Whereas it seems the ama has either already fulfilled her job or is now just around after having done what she needs to do as property, for lack of a better term, right? Just a thing that the family would own. So we're going to see these two words interchangeably. And every time they come up, I want you to recognize that they've come up in different ways. And what's kind of the character change when they come up? So keep these two words in mind. So we're going to look at the this story of Hagar. I'm going to read through it, not quickly, but I'm also not going to do what I would do in a, you know, a, a um, like a Midrash shot class. I'm not going to work through every single word. So if you have a question, raise your hand. I can't see everybody. Um, so, Machshefa. Uh, I don't think so, Renee. Renee just asked me if the word has any Shorish connection. I don't. I don't think so, but I don't know. I could look it up. I have no idea. I think it's spelled differently, but I can look it up. Okay, so chapter 16, verse 1 of Genesis says, Visarai eshet Avram lo yaldalo. And Sarai, the wife of Ab- Avram at this, at this point, did not bear him children, did not give birth to a child for him, right, for Avram. Vela shivcha mitzrit ushma hagar. And for her, there was this maidservant, and she was an Egyptian. Her name was Hagar. So interestingly, unlike the handmaid's tale, it seems as though the handmaid, the maidservant, the shifcha, is being brought into a household for the wife, not for the husband. It's made very clear in the book and in the, in the series that a handmaid in this dystopian society was brought into the household, which they use with a capital H in the book, brought into the household for the husband, not for the wife. So that is a difference here. In fact, let me see if I can um, share. I took notes on the book that I will share with you at the end of um, this class. Not this class, but the end of us learning together. So here are some, I took the yellow are about Hagar specifically. So um, in the book, Serena, who's the commander's wife says, I want to see as little of you as possible. He is my husband until death do us part. Don't get any ideas. If I get any trouble, believe me, I will give trouble back. So the handmaid is there for the husband, but is, quote, under the control of the wife, it seems. 
that's from the show. Now, if we look at the, at the book here, on page 13, you'll see it says, she doesn't speak to me unless she can't avoid it. Right? The woman, in this case, if we were going to compare it to our Torah, the Torah, Sarah, Sarai, doesn't speak to the handmaid unless she can't avoid it. I'm a necessity. Right? June, off right in, in the book, is, um, and in the show, is seen as a necessity. Just something that is, is used in the house. You're the new one, she said. She didn't step aside to let me in. So they're standing in the doorway. She just stood there in the doorway, blocking the entrance. She wanted me to feel that I could not come into the house unless she said so. I want to see as little of this. This is the same in the book as it was in the show. She says, don't call me, ma'am. She said irritably, you're not a Martha. A Martha is like a, a modern day um, like housekeeper, I guess you could call her in, in today's day. I didn't ask what I was supposed to call her because I could see that she hoped I would never have the occasion to call her anything at all. Then this was a very interesting piece that we'll talk about in a few minutes, actually. June says, I was disappointed. I wanted then to turn her into an older sister, the commander's wife, into an older sister, a motherly figure, someone who would understand and protect me. Right? She thought she was coming into this household knowing that her job was to produce children with the commander, but she thought that she might gain someone who could be a protective figure to her, someone who would protect her. Okay, let's go back to the Torah. Keep those things in mind. By the way, if I'm ever going too fast or if something is not clear, please just uh, just raise your hand. There's a lot to get through, but I don't mean to be going too quickly. But Tomer Sarai El Avram. And so Sarah Sarai said to Avram, Kine na atsarani Adonai mi ledet. Behold, you'll see that God has stopped me from bearing child from bearing a child. Bona el shifchati, come now to my handmaid. Ulai ibane mimena, maybe you will be built up from her. Vaishma Avram lekol Sarai, and he Avram listened to the voice of Sarah. This is different from the book and from the series in, in the way in which the, the wife doesn't have to say what the handmaid is there for, right? It's very clear when, when she's brought into the household what she's there for. In fact, they wear red because all they are seen as is a vessel of blood, which is a really gross way of thinking about it, but they're just a vessel for childbirth, right? And so life, the color of blood shows both life and death. And all they're good for, there's a quote somewhere that talks about, um, that I wrote down that talks about the hands and the feet aren't necessary. It's just the inside of me that's necessary, right? So it, they really are just vessels. And this is very different than that. In our Torah, it's very different Abraham is being told by Sarah what to utilize this handmaid for. It's very um, transactional, right? There's nothing loving or sexual even about this. It's purely transaction. You are going to, literally says here, come into my handmaid and maybe you'll have a baby from her 
and you'll be built up like God has said you're going to be built up from my handmaid since I can't give you children. So what the rabbis do with this Lekol Sarai piece, I think is extremely messed up (laughs) because what happens is the rabbis talk about how, oh, Sarah had such a loving relationship with Hagar that she made sure to pacify everything and it was all going to be fine. And because she was so calm, Hagar was calm. And so Abraham was able to sleep with her. It clearly, as I mentioned at the beginning of the class, clearly our rabbis want us to see, for good reason, our protagonist in a beautiful light. They want us to be able to follow our protagonist through the rest of the Torah and be proud that they are our ancestors. Making this Likol Sarai not be one of power seems a little far-fetched to me, but all of the commentators seem to do a version of that. Uh, let me just look at the chat really quickly. Is Ama connected to Ima? I I don't believe so, Joanna, because it's spelled with a hey instead of an aleph. But it would be interesting to know if um, it became that. Uh, interesting. I don't know. I can look. I can look into that. Um, okay. The Tikach Sarai Eshet Avram et Hagar Hamitzrit Shivchata, and Sarai took. Uh, sorry, and Sarai, the wife of Avram, very interesting that it's, we know that, right, <laughs> that we're using that as, as, a, as a title here, as if we aren't sure what her role is. The wife of Abraham took Hagar, the Mitzrit, the Egyptian, her handmaid. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of like ownership grabbing, moving around of this person who, you know, you could say the same thing about a vase in your house, right? And, and Sarah took the vase and gave it to, you know, put it down on the piano. Like that seems to be what we're talking about here. The tikkah, the, the pulling away is a very interesting way of, um, of talking about this. And in fact, the JPS translation, which is the one that uh, Safaria uses, doesn't translate the tikkah at all. It says took her handmade, but it really means to like, to like, grab away. Tikach is to kind of forcefully take, not just take by the hand and, wa- and walk away. Miketz Ezer Shanim Lashevet Avram Be'eretz Kanan Betiten Ota Avram Isha Lo Laisha. The rabbis loved on this verse for some reason, they didn't want to talk about the taking of the handmaid or any of these things. They wanted to talk about what did it mean that he dwelt in the land for 10 years. I texted Rabbi Klingfeld when I was looking at this verse and I said, how come the rabbis, uh, the commentators didn't know that I needed answers on a different part of this verse? I don't care about the 10 years. I want to know why. It says Vatikach. Why was she taken? Why if she's living in the home, is it important that she's taken? In the show and in the book, there's a thing called the ceremony. Right, where, um, where she, where they are brought into, or the ritual. Is it the ritual? Hold on. It's the ritual, I think. I wrote it down. Give me one second. Um, no, the ceremony. I was right. Okay. The ceremony is when the handmaid comes from her room, comes down into the bedroom of the commander and the commander's wife. She's then, there as a vessel to, for the commander to have sex with. 
for her to then hopefully be impregnated and have a baby for the household. We'll get a little bit more into that, hopefully today, um, at, when we talk about Hagar actually becoming pregnant, um, which is the next verse, but, but we're going to talk about it a little bit later in the story. Because it's the, this moment of Vetikah doesn't actually happen in The Handmaid's Tale, partially and disturbingly so, because she knows what her job is. That's her job. She comes down from her room when the bell rings and she lays on the bed and there's certain choreography and that's, that's what happens. But in this particular verse here, it seems as though either Hagar did not know that that was her role or that it was done in a forceful way that is not, is not at least shown in the same way in the novel or in the, in the show. Barry and Kathy, I see you just, let me finish this verse and then I'll call on you. So he, uh, he dwelt in the land for, of Canaan for 10 years. If you're interested in that, the rabbis have a lot to say about it. We're going to move on. Uh, and she gave her to Avram, to, to Avram to be a wife for him to have as a wife. <laughs> it says here concubine. That word's not used. Isha is wife. Um, so interesting that it, that it's translated in English as concubine. And I kept it that way because I wanted you to see how the translation is, is giving us a different story than what it actually says. But Titen otale Avram Isha, Lola Isha, for him to have a wife. Well, he already has Sarah as a wife. So what does it mean now that she is to him a wife? Is that the intimate relationship of a husband and a wife? Is that a status change for her? We don't really know. It just kind of ends here with that as a claim. Again, the rabbis didn't really want to talk about that so much. They they were excited about the 10 years in Canaan. Barry and Kathy. So uh, picking up on your concern with their, uh, the taking word. Yeah. And the two terms. Yeah. One is before it happens and one after it happens. Yeah. So what, what Sarah is doing in her sentence is she's changing Hagar's mm. position. Mm. That, that's the taking. She, she's taking the, the change of position. Great. That's a, that is a great, um, that's a great connection to the way that, that we're using those two terms. And I would want then her to be called an ama quicker, right? We're going to see her called an ama in many verses later, but you're right that that's the moment, that is the moment that her status changes, whether it's to be a certain kind of handmaid or to be now this slave as opposed to a handmaid or to be a wife to Abraham, like the whole status thing is definitely changing. This is the that could be played into those words. Yeah. It's just a verbal change now. Yeah. The action change becomes a mom. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm glad that you're keeping these, those two terms in mind. You're, you follow instructions. Well, uh, did I see another hand? Oh, yes. Henry or Suzanne. Yeah. I just going to build on what, what Barry said. It actually, is a change right in that same verse you just read. Yeah. She was called a wife. So in a sense, that is a change, even mm-hmm. better than being an Alma. Great. Right. So what is it, what does it mean that in the next verse we're still going to go back to her being called a handmaid? Right? Was that a way in which Sarah saw her? Was it actually a status change? Was she now being seen differently by Abraham? Right? All those 
the two of you are bringing up really interesting ways of how we use names in general, the different names that we call one another or titles or any of those things. It's different for different people and for ourselves. Um, great. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, title. Um, what people just said made me think about, I think it's Kedushin, but the tractate about how to require a wife, where a wife is acquired in uh-huh. three yeah. ways. Yeah, Kedushin. Um, with a star, a document, uh, I'm with uh, with I think one is the of the a world a spoken declaration, but the third is sexual intercourse. Yeah, Bia, Star, and Kesef, not in that order. <laughs> uh, got it. So when you start talking about the rabbis, I'm trying to remember if there's discussion in that tractate or similar tractates about why it is or isn't that this act of sexual intercourse made her made her a wife or a wife for the moment and then back to a handmaid. Yeah. It just seems to me that the rabbis should have, or maybe could have done a lot with that. Yeah. It's really interesting that, um, you know, that would be playing in a source from the 500, 600s back into Torah. So I, I don't know if in Kiddushin, I just didn't look it up recently enough to know if in Kiddushin it harkens back to these kinds of cases. I know that with Bia as one of the ways of acquisition, just like actually all the others, but specifically since that's the one that we're speaking about here, that sexual intercourse in order for it to make a woman acquired by her husband, since we're only talking about heterosexual um, relationships in the Talmud, that that it has to be done in front of witnesses. So it's part of the reason why, um, and we're not going to get into this right now for sure, um, but it's part of the reason why uh, premarital sex is something that everyone assumes Judaism says no about because, oh, if you have sex, you're married to the person. That's not actually the case unless you're having sex in front of witnesses who say that at some point you said that you are having sex for marriage. So there, there has to be kind of a lot of stars aligned, so to speak, for, for that to work. The, but you bring up a good point in terms of status change, right? That, that even in the show and the book, we see how the commander's wife is nervous about how the handmaid is going to feel once she's gone through with the ceremony because she's had a type of intimacy now with this man. Not, not that it is sexual or loving or even consensual, but still a, a sexual, intimate, vulnerable experience with this man that the, the wife can't even have for the reason that the handmaid is is having it right the 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 commander's wife can obviously have sex with her husband but it's not for the production of children in the same way that a handmaid is so you see the tension and the jealousy which we're going about to see with Sarah and Hagar also in terms of the handmaid status changing from this person who has a job to someone who's had the same kind of intimate relationship that you would only have with a spouse to then just a slave in your home dwelling amongst the rest of you. Um, Yeah, Karen. She's very jealous. Yeah. And he is excited. So that's even more 
in in the Torah, you think is exciting? No, no, no. handmaid, oh. handmaid. Oh, handmaidens to, in the Handmaid's Tale. You don't think so? And I think she's upset oh. about the whole thing. Interesting. I never. I just watched the ep- the first episode recently, like on Sunday. Um, again, I had I had watched it before. I don't think that he's excited. I think it's awkward. I mean, I, I think yeah, then it isn't. I mean, at at some point, oh, you could be you know this. I don't know. No, no, no go ahead. But um, and at some point, it's a human. He has to have a, an ejaculation. Oh, oh, oh I see. I, and sorry, so sorry. there is that also going on. Yes. Like, you know, it's a, just a strange situation and the way they're situated. Right. Uh, what's her name is, you know, she's holding her. Right. Okay. So actually, I'm going to get back to that now because um, I think that that has to do with partially the – the the biology of it all right and and not necessarily him needing to even be attracted to this woman so the way that for those of you who haven't seen the movie or haven't read it the very descriptive way that this is described in the show I mean in the book sorry um the handmaid I'm going to try to describe this if it if it goes awry you're going to let me know the handmaid is called down from her room she comes into a room, the entire household assembles, the driver, the housekeeper, um, the, uh, whatever, the other, the other people in the household. She then kneels on a pillow in front, like looking at the bed that she's going to then get on. The commander's wife owns that room and actually says in the in the book that this is her domain that night this is this is her room she sits on a throne you know like on a on a nice chair she waits for the commander to come in to the room the commander comes into the room he takes a bible out of a box that is under lock and key because in this dystopian society you're not supposed to read uh the bible opens up the Bible, reads the verses about Bilha and Zilpa that we'll read uh, next week and says, you know, that a handmaid was brought in so that I could have a child through her because um, because the, the woman who I am, you know, married to, though those aren't the words used, um, could not have a child for me. The commander's wife then sits on the bed with her legs spread open the handmaid lays with her head in the lap of the commander's wife. The, the handmaid puts her arms, you know, behind her to be held by the commander's wife. She's, you know, at the bottom of the bed with obviously her legs open. The commander then enters her from standing. He's standing, looking at his wife. Um, so she is literally a vessel in this whole thing. That is all she is. She's just the biology. She's the uterus. Um, and then he finishes, you know, his whole act and then he leaves and that's it. And, and that happens as many times as is necessary for the handmaid to get married. So to get pregnant, not to get married, Freudian slip. Um, so that is what's happening in the show. It obviously doesn't go into that kind of detail here in in the Torah, but it does seem to be the same kind of 
we need a product. You are, you are the thing that is going to get us to that product. So let's, let's just keep going in the story because all of this will kind of um, continue to come up as we, as we go through the story of Hagar. Oh yeah. Barry or Kathy. Uh, it's me. Yeah. Oh, I did it. oh you muted. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so there's a real difference here. If, if, the word is concubine for the for, of Hagar, then that's a sexual relationship, a right. loving, a more intimate, and it's and she continues to be the concubine. Right. So that's a completely different situation than just having somebody there as a vessel. And, for sure. And, and which is why Sarai is jealous of Hagar later because Avram is, you know, falling in love with Hagar. So, I mean, she's younger, she's, she's whatever. And, and, and he has this now relationship and with Ishmael when he's born, but yeah, the handmaidens are completely different than the handmaids in the, um, in the Torah. So, Possibly. A lot of what you just mentioned is is brought to us by our commentators, but isn't explicit in the Torah. We don't hear of any kind of love or any kind of relationship even between Abraham and Hagar. We know that he cares for his child that is born to him through Hagar, which, again, in modern day, we would assume that means that then he cares for the woman for whom gave him that child, because even if he doesn't have romantic feelings for her, he at least feels gratitude that she brought a child into the world. That's never spoken about. But we know that he looks out for her when she is told to leave the house by by Sarai, which is actually when she is called an ama for the first time, when she's told to leave the home. Um, but a lot of what you're describing is is exactly how the rabbis want us to believe that relationship happened. And again, part of teaching this class that's so difficult is that, of course, we want to believe that. We want to believe that that Abraham began to love her because of these acts that he that he had to have with her to have a child, and that Sarah was just jealous because of that. And Reading, you know, obviously modern day literature and watching modern day entertainment, it makes us think a little bit more about how are at least the verses that they're using to describe this. How can we read into these verses that maybe it is a little bit more similar than we want to think that it is based on on how they were utilized in their status um, as handmaids? Because Sarah, uh, Hagar isn't a wife. She's being called a wife here in terms of her status of how he views her or how Sarah probably more likely views her, but she doesn't actually become his wife. She doesn't, she's not taken as wife. So it's just that, it's just that that status is one that is recognized now as different, similar to what Barry was saying. Um, and then Henry commented on, that was that is now different based on this act itself. So keep that in mind because we're gonna keep we're gonna keep seeing um, this pop up. Vayavo el Hagar vetahar. So and he came into Hagar and she conceived. 
Vatere ki harata virta be'eneha. And when, when uh, Hagar saw that she had conceived, her mistress, Sarai, was brought down in her eyes. It's a, it doesn't say anything about esteem. It just says lowered in her eyes. Now, the way that we could read into that, like these rabbis did, is lowered in esteem. Look, I'm better than you. I got pregnant. Look at me. I can do this. You can't. That's how, at least I learned the story when I was a kid. But if you look at the actual words, it doesn't seem to be saying that at all. It just seems to be saying that maybe when you lower your eyes, you don't want to look someone in the eye because you're ashamed or you're embarrassed or you're nervous, right? That she somehow... Her eyes were lowered to her mistress and sorry, to her master. She is the mistress, right? That, 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 that relationship changed because she did now have a certain kind of control. The same thing happens in the show where all of a sudden the relationship changes because, oh, you were able to do that, but I wasn't. And so Serena, who's the commander's wife, says often, you know, make sure that you don't show him any affection or he watches, she watches every move that he makes towards her because of that same kind of jealousy of you can do something I can't. So what, what becomes of my status as the commander's wife, or in this case, Sarah, Henry, and then Tybal, and then we're going to keep going because we have many more verses in 15 minutes. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not good enough with Hebrew to be able to help with this. So can you, yeah. Can you interpret the Hebrew clearly so that it says whether or not her eyes were lowered when looking at Sarai, or is it that Sarai was lowered in Hagar's eyes, which actually is closer to an esteem theme, even if you don't want to use that word? Yeah, so Vitekal would be, and she lowered, Gvirta, her master, in her eyes. Right. So I would so I would read that as she put down her master relative to herself. That's the way I would read it. Yeah. Which is, again, totally, totally possible. And when we're not comparing it to, you know, The Handmaid's Tale, a, a great way of reading it in such a way that makes a lot of sense. Because, first of all, we're trying to lift up Sarah and Abraham, but also makes a lot of sense in terms of how Hagar probably did feel about herself. She was able to do something that she was supposed to do. And she did it successfully. The rabbis, I don't think we'll get to this commentary today, but the rabbis on this particular verse had a really great time talking, because every rabbi is a doctor. I don't know if you all know that. Um, but the rabbis mentioned that you can never conceive the first time that you have sex. Never. Who knew? The doctors and all these rabbis, they were commenting on the Torah. So what it seems, what the, what these rabbi doctors seem to be telling us, obviously I'm saying that tongue in cheek, only one of them was actually a doctor. Um, and I don't know if he made a comment on this, but the, the, the fact that this esteem piece is brought up and to Henry's point, you know, she, she was very proud of herself that, oh, I only had to do that once. Great. Good job. I'm, I'm now, I've conceived clearly it's Sarah's issue, not Abraham's because look at me. So for sure there is an element here of, of, um, looking down on her master. I'm just not sure if it was in a way of 
like control or if it was more so then she had to tiptoe around the house kind of walking on eggshells to make sure that she didn't for lack of a better term piss off her her commander and her commander's wife uh Tybal, and then we'll go on um could it be that instead of a subjective interpretation it's more merely objective about phases of status that are gone through yeah and and in this case it seems worse to us because it's women and they only have certain kind of status but i mean i'm trying to think comparable in our society would be sixth grade graduation and then eighth grade graduation and then 12th grade and if you go all the way through if you go back to the doctor the doctor that passes the boards on the first time you know those kinds of things so why could it why would it not be just objective that that i've moved another rung on the ladder which isn't even so much about the the human beings as the ladder itself um yeah i don't know i mean i don't i don't know i don't know how much it mattered back in that society um that a woman had children i mean it clearly matter well we um well because her status was still not going to change if she had a child right well part of what happened part of the reason that handmaids existed was because there was no such thing as like surrogacy or adoption or any of those kinds of things if you couldn't give birth yourself you found someone to sleep with your husband so that you could have a child in your family but the the status piece went up for you you know the the mother so to speak the the commander's wife if we're going to use the handmaid's tale language um not the handmaid the handmaid never changed the only way the handmaid changes status in the book um is that she cannot be sent to the colonies because she was able to give birth so she can be she can be sent to other homes to give birth um get pregnant and give birth so yeah I don't know I don't know how to answer that question better than how I just kind of c minus answered the question (laughs) um Joel Elkins made a really good point that I kind of glossed glossed over gloss Mm -hmm. we're gonna go with that um that isha doesn't necessarily mean wife we just we just say wife when we say Isha, because we're usually talking about an Isha and Isha, but really Isha just means woman, right? So it's possible that, and the rabbis do talk about this, that she lost her virginity to, to Abraham, right? That, that this was Hagar's first time also having sex in general. So it's possible that that's like a maturity statement, not so much an acquisitional um, betrothal statement, which is a, a really, really good point, Joel. And I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, if that's true, then the handmaid and the commander develop a relationship, spend time together, not the wife. They play games or cards with like Hagar and Avram. Avram leaves Sarai 10 years to go with. I don't know that I understand this question. Oh, you're saying did Avram go into the land for 10 years without Sarah? So again, this is why the commentators are so excited about this piece of text because it's unclear kind of what he was doing there. Was this just a random piece of knowledge that they wanted us to have was it specifically connected to Hagar it doesn't seem to be um but that is why the commentators have such a good time with that I'm not going to get into it but I can I can show you maybe we'll talk about tomorrow during Midrash since I haven't planned that class yet okay um 
Okay. Uh, so, Vatomer Sarai Elavram, Hamasi Alecha Anochi. Natati Shifchati Vechekecha Veterechi Harata Veekal Beeneha. So, and Sarai said to Avram, Hamasi Alecha, you've, you've done, you've damaged me, you've done wrong to me. Um, Anochi Natati. I gave you my handmaid into your breast uh, and see that she has conceived and that I have been brought down in her eyes. I've been lowered in her eyes. Yishpot Adonai Beni Uvenecha. God will judge between me and between you. Uh, so between Sarah and between, between Avram. Interesting, we're not going to spend so much time on this verse, but interesting that here we see this, this, um, uh, power dynamic between Avram and Sarai of Sarah. Last we heard three verses ago, Sarah gave Avram this handmaid because she wanted him to be able to have a kid or she wanted to be able to have a kid. And now all of a sudden it seems as though Sarah is blaming him for the fact that he was able to have a kid with her. So it's, it's clearly there, there is a jealousy. There is an anger, right? Rightfully so. I would say, I think like that jealousy is clearly um, warranted here, but interesting that it is, that it is now being turned onto Avram as if he did something very wrong. Vayamar Avram el Sarai, hine shifchatech beyadech. And Avram said to Sarai, here you go. Here's your handmaid. I'm going to put her in your hands. Asila hatov be'enecha. Do to her what is good in your eyes. Vata'ena Sarai v'tivrach mipanecha. And Sarah, it says she treated her poorly. Vata'aneha could be, and she mistreated her or she just answered her it's it's it is unclear language here what happened but the next part is she she ran away so it must have not been so kind that Hagar decided to then run away so Abraham says all right she's yours take her back that's fine you're mad at me do with her what you want to do interesting that he doesn't say be terrible to her he says do with her what you think is right in your eyes. And then she's so terrible to her, it seems, that she goes and she runs away. Interesting that in when we're comparing this to The Handmaid's Tale, that is also what happens in the show, that the husband is not, I'm going to talk about not just the main character, but in general, the commanders are not necessarily as involved in how The Handmaid feels post-ceremony, right? Post kind of his job of impregnating her, at least trying to impregnate her. The wife really takes control over how she's taken care of, especially if she's pregnant, to make sure that she uh, is doing what she's supposed to do and all the rest of it. So it, that does go back to the initial language in Brasheet of being in the ownership of the woman, of the commander's wife in our in our novel, or Sarai in our Torah. But but interesting that shifts. That's not actually how it is for us in the beginning of of this. It it's changes. Um Kathy and Barry, I see you. Let me just get a little bit further and then and then I'll call on you. So if you don't want to forget what you're gonna say, just put it in the chat and, and then I'll call call on you afterwards. 
So we're just going to go through this piece pretty quickly because this has um, important pieces of the Hagar character, but not as many connections to our um, to our handmade narrative here. So an angel of God sees her by the spring of water in the Midbar, in the wilderness. And this is the spring on the road to a place called Shur. I'm just going to read this part in English. Um, and Sarah, Sarah, sorry, and Hagar, Sarah's handmaid, says, interesting, it says slave here. It's not what Shifcha means. Where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am running away from my mistress, Sarah, Sarai, excuse me. And the angel of God says to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her harsh treatment. So go back to Sarah. Things are bad for you, but that's where you belong. Now, if you do read on, and sorry, there's a little bit of spoilers here. If you do read on or watch on in the series, you do see a lot of running away and a lot of catching and bringing back. There's a lot of that, that that these handmaids really had no status, no claim, no anything outside of their household, outside of where they belonged as a place to get pregnant and have babies. So as soon as she fled, she's a nothing because there is no one there who is, who is kind of needing her or that she can be of use. So this angel of God comes to her and says, go back. Even if it was really bad for you, at least you're back in a place that you're going to be quote taken care of though. Obviously that's a terrible phrase to use. Um, when it's an abusive relationship. And she called to Adonai, who spoke to her, you are El-Roi, um, meaning El-Roi is, the name El is a, is a name for God, and Roi, the one who sees me, by which she meant, have I not gone on seen after God saw me? So the fact that God sees what is going on to Hagar, and she's Continuing on, um, whether or not this is a criticism of God or not, a whole other class for another time. But interesting, um, interesting that this is how she speaks to God. But Taylor Hagarle Avram Ben. So seemingly she goes back and she gives birth to a child uh, for Avram. Interesting, doesn't say anything about Sarah. This child is for Avram. Vaikra Avram Shem Beno Asher Yalda Hagar Yishmael. And Abraham, Avram, it's really hard to do this. Avram calls the name of his son after, uh, Hagar gives birth, Yishmael. Interesting that Avram was not with Hagar in the wilderness when she said that God saw her. Here, Avraham is saying that God heard him. So there's a lot of God relationship here. God sees Hagar. God hears Avraham. A very interesting connection, uh, relational piece. I skipped a few verses, as you can see here. Um, We're now at 17.18, excuse me, as opposed to 16.15. So Abraham says to God, Ishmael should also be able to grow up in front of you, right? Ishmael, this child should be able to grow up with you as well as, as a member of, you know, your creation. You had me have a kid. This is my kid. He should be able to grow up as well. Um, 
Okay, just for sake of time, sorry, I'm just skipping around here for one second. Oh, this is fun. Um, change this font so I can read whatever that's saying. Um, uh, interesting, he circumcises Ishmael, which um, uh, would be something that we would only do for Jewish boys. So that is an interesting piece here. Again, we're not going to, if we had all the time in the world, I'd be going into all of these. Um, okay, so here's here's the place where Amma comes up. So that's why I want to get down here. And then we're going to have to just pick up with Hagar next time, which should be fine. So at the end of all of this, this is after Sarah's also been told that she's going to have a child. So now she doesn't need Hagar. She doesn't need um, her handmaid, nor her, nor the son. Interestingly, again, I'm sorry that this is going to be a little bit of a spoiler. In the third, fourth season, whatever, one of the seasons of The Handmaid's Tale, which because I haven't read the second book, um, I don't know if this comes up in the second book, but... Um, Serena, the commander's wife, ends up getting pregnant. Um, and so the, the, the narrative ends up changing around what is a handmaid for if the commander's wife is now able to be pregnant. The relationship with her handmaid changes both in the story and here also in our Torah. Uh, so Abraham, sorry, Sarah says to Abraham, throw out this ama. Get rid of this slave, right? No longer a shifcha, no longer an isha, no longer a handmaid, no longer a woman or, or a wife, but a slave. Get rid of this thing, right? If I was going to be harsh about it, you could say like, throw out the trash, right? Get rid of this thing I no longer need any longer. The et bana and her son. Well, it's also his son. Seem to be forgetting that piece, but... It's, it came from her and now she's going to have her own. So it's as if he never existed. Kilo yurash ben hazot im 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 Because this son is not going to inherit because his mother is a slave and he's not going to inherit the way that my son is going to inherit my son Yitzchak. So we see this chain, this shift because now Sarah is able to have a child, how she treats her handmaid. And it goes from someone who has purpose in the household, obviously terrible, distraught, traumatic purpose, but purpose in the household to just an item that can be thrown away. Um, and then it says here that the matter, and this is part, partially where, um, where what Kathy was sharing, uh, comes out for us, right? That the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it was also a son of his. It was his own son also. It wasn't just her son. Um, I, I feared that this might happen, that we would get to the hour and only have been gone through the source, the verses of Torah and not the commentaries. There are far fewer verses of Torah on Bilhan and Zilpah. So next week, We'll go through some of the commentaries on Hagar and then go into Bilha and Zilpah. Um, I promised Barry and Kathy I would come back to you. Uh, and um, yes, and then see if anybody else has any other questions. Are you Barry? Oh, I, I just uh, put it in the text. It's okay. Uh, oh, great. Uh, it's just a ta'anha, uh, uh, similar to ta'anit. Mm. 
Okay, and we we have an annual event on Tanit, the mm-hmm. suffering, right? and uh, uh, the other uh, right. Uh, what I say in the chat? You put dissimilar to the Handmaid's Tale. Sarah did put hand guards on Hagar. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you have as you described the book. Um, yeah. The, uh, the, the the handmaid is it, very strictly controlled from the very beginning. Yeah. And, uh, there was no controls over Hagar was given to Abraham. Right. Right. Yes. True. True. Other thoughts or comments? Oh, thank you, Nancy. She said the second book is about what happens when the abused become those in power. Yeah, Rebecca or Leonard. You have to question. Yeah, I was just going to say, it seems like in the, in the Bible, um, a mistress like um, Sarah would have more reason to be jealous than the mistresses in The Handmaid's Tale. Because at least in The Handmaid's Tale, w- when the handmaid gets pregnant, the offspring belongs to the mistress and she can look forward to that and she takes ownership of the child and they don't really need the handmaid anymore and she can move on. Whereas here the offspring of uh, uh, of Hagar and Dolpha and et cetera, um, it's like they belong to the um, the father, the husband. Mm-hmm. They really don't have anything to do with the wife. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it, I, I really, I didn't get the, such a distinctive sense in The Handmaid's Tale. And those of you who have read the book and seen the show, I'm, I'm happy to hear your thoughts on this. I never got a true sense of, kind of where the child belongs. It's very clear from the from the show at least that the child is cared for by women. Um but that it seems as though the men are the ones who need the children to have status. So I don't know I, I agree with you. I think that it is that it is a distinction between the two. I just don't know if we were to ask, you know, the author or the producer of the show, how they imagined um, those roles, I wonder what they would say. Because it's it seems unclear to me, maybe in a good way, as to which um, which person in that partnership, if you can call it a partnership, um, really needs the child more. Whereas in our Torah, it's very clear. Um, yeah, Larry, go ahead. Wait, just unmute first. Unmute. There you go. Um, I I don't know if this is particularly apt to any yeah. of this, but but a thought came to mind. There was a book that came out, I don't know, last year or so, and it was about uh, women in the South slaveholding women. You know, mm-hmm. the wives of slaveholders, mm. and it it you know. It 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 very it's it, it posited that actually the the women were often more cruel to the slaves than their husbands, um, and it it which is kind of not what you, we would you know we think all oh, women are you know nicer right but but apparently in that milieu uh, the women were actually quite. Uh, cruel. It's a very well researched uh, piece of work, and I don't know how much that ties into any of this, um, but it's kind of related. Yeah. Well, first of all, I thought of it as we were talking about all this. Yeah. I first of all be very interested in what that book is because we are going to the south, so it might be an interesting connection to 
to this read as well. Um, I, based on that, and also because I wanted to show this before, this quote right here is from the book. Um, it comes out in the show, just not in this explicit language, but it says, it's not the hand husbands you have to watch out for, says Aunt Lydia, who's kind of the, I don't know, the, the overseer of all of the handmaids, the, the teacher, the controller, I don't know what, what, what else to call her. Um, it's the wives. You should always try to imagine what they must be feeling. Of course they will resent you. It's only natural. Try to feel for them. Try to pity them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. You must realize they are defeated women. They have been unable. She she stops speaking, but what, she, what, it, what the novel seems to imply is they've been unable to have children, and Aunt Lydia seems to be kind of choked up in this moment, though she's not allowed to show emotion. And she continues, the future is in your hands. So this is kind of the, the credo that they are given before they go off to their households as handmaids. And it, and it speaks to that point and just to the overall, wh- where is, where is the, the line of command? Where is the power coming from? And if we think back, this is where I think the rabbis are trying very beautifully to do the right thing for our matriarch and patriarch that we, we want to imagine that had Sarah been able to have a child from the beginning, all of this trauma, all of this pain would not have come upon Hagar, at least in her household, right? That they, that she wouldn't have been needed in the same kind of way because Sarah would have had a child. So what Aunt Lydia is saying to them is, this is, this is going to be what you're doing. She's not saying that it's going to be good and which I'm glad about because it obviously isn't good. Um, for them, it's, it's definitely traumatic and definitely, um, um, they're submissive to, to everything that's happening around them. But this, it is a way in which we can kind of get into the psyche of the commander's wife and of the, of Sarah in our Torah to understand this must have been very hard on them to say, I'm no longer able to do this. I need to find another way. And I'm not saying that it's right by any stretch of the imagination what happened to these women, nor what what the Handmaid's Tale is trying to, to show us was, quote, okay in this dystopian society. And to be able to, to think for a second, you are doing this and you, you should recognize that you're going to have a harder time with the women because you are a mirror to everything they couldn't do. Everything they weren't able to do, you are showing them is possible, just they're not able to do it. So that's, it's possible that that's why the women are harsher in all of these different scenarios because they see themselves yeah. in the success of, of someone else's um, someone else's narrative. Does the commander's wife have her own name? Yes, she does. Um, so in the Handmaid's Tale book, her name is Serena. Um, she's the main the main uh, commander's wife. Gary, and then I think we'll close for today and be excited to resume next week. Same same thing. TV show and store uh, novel are both Serena. Gary, just unmute first. 
That was a mistake. I didn't. I was touching something. I apologize. Oh, no, that's I'm totally enjoying fine. this. I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. Oh, well, I'm so thank you. Thank you for ending our class with that. I'll, <laughs> I'll pay you later. Um, any uh, any other final final thoughts since Gary didn't? Uh, no. Oh, yeah. Joanna, go ahead. I will comment that interesting because when you think about it, Agar, Bilha, and Zilpa are all named, and there are so many women in Tanakh that we wish we knew their names yeah. and are unnamed. Uh-huh. So yeah. it's quite fascinating that, you know, we can talk about differentiated status, but the fact that they are in fact named oh, yeah. confers a level of status on them. T- totally. And I think that this, this is where it becomes even harder to wrap our heads around this, both in the story of The Handmaid's Tale and also in our Torah, that in The Handmaid's Tale, there is a whole category of women called unwomen, whether they're not allowed, not able to have children or they're lesbian or they have some kind of deformity. They're called unwomen as if they just don't exist as humans, right? They just, and they're sent away. They're sent to what's called the colonies, which unfortunately I don't think is so far away from a connection to what Larry was bringing up before about slavery in the South. But this, the fact that we know these handmaids' names means that they did have a status, which again, it's like, it's incredible that there was an even lower status than that, than that to be unnamed, right? We think this is traumatic and terrible in so many ways. And yet, to a certain extent, we'll read a quote next time from the book. To a certain extent, these women kind of knew what they were getting into. It wasn't their choice and it wasn't what they wanted for their lives, but they knew what was being asked of them, they knew what, what their quote role was. And again, just you saying that is giving me a stomach ache. It's like a terrible thing to say, but they did have status because there was a goal for them in mind and they had to be named so that we knew that they gave birth to, you know, some of Jacob's most prominent sons. Um, so, okay. Barry slash Kathy, last comment. Uh, Talmud has tractates, I don't know where they're located, but a, a tremendous number of guardrail, guardrails on how uh, female slaves are treated. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, and it's different than male slaves, too. So, so it, it makes uh, our cultural history. And, and in America, uh, Jews were slave owners. Oh, yeah. Sephardim. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they had guardrails which other slave owners did not. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. You are definitely correct that there is different um, like stipulations around the different kind of slave owners and slaves um, and just slavery, depending on gender. Um, I don't know enough about the connection of that to our own American history, which would be fascinating to look into again also before we go to the South. Um, but yeah, definitely, again, like all very hierarchical status stuff here um, and and very interesting to be connecting those to, I guess, this modern, not really modern, but this imaginary dystopian society that we're reading about in modern times. Um, thank you all for learning with me. I am. I, I like want to apologize that we didn't get through everything because there was so much more to get through, but There's a lot here and um, 
And I hope that, that we will be able to kind of pick some of this up next week. I'll put in the chat again, the, uh, the source sheet. So if you want to read ahead, you're more than welcome to. There's no secrets, um, as to what we're going to do next week with Hagar. And then we'll also add in Bilha and Zilpa and, um, and a little bit of Ruth and a little bit of a few other handmaids who are brought up in, um, in our prophets. So thank you for being here. I thank you for staying with me a little bit later than you expected. And, um, have a good night. Lila Cho. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.